Last week, we heard from Scott Flanagan, former president at Edgewood College in Madison, Wisconsin. One of the many things that Scott mentioned was the fact that Edgewood, while a private school, still receives some state funding from the state of Wisconsin. So this week, I thought we'd look at state budget priorities and how they affect higher education. As you will hear in my upcoming interview with Scott Pattison, Higher education presidents and senior leaders have every reason to be worried about the next economic downturn, as it could happen sometime in 2020. In terms of state funding for higher ed, and again, publics and privates depend upon it, it's one of the first line items to go, our guest speaker will tell us. State governments talk about the urban-rural divide a lot. It's what what helps get them elected. And any time you look at the pie charts of state expenses, only a small fraction goes to higher ed on a good day in robust economic times. And when there's an economic downturn, it's often one of the very first line items to be cut. And then when there's a decline in state revenues, higher education suffers, and this then by extension could have a serious impact on tuition, student debt, and then by extension, college athletics. Here's some key points to keep in mind. Governors talk about the rural versus urban divide all the time. That's important to them for the economic reasons of driving tax dollars to the state budget. Mark Zandi from Moody's.com, an economist, says that our Midwest is already in recession. So this could be the early canary in the coal mine. Two-thirds of big cities expect an economic downturn in late 2020. So if your university is located in a city... It could be quick coming up quickly that, a, that an economic downturn may impact your students and your population. Higher ed receives about 10% of all state funds, but Medicaid is the problem. Medicaid keeps going up, and now on the average state budget, it sits at 20% of the entire state budget. Every single downturn that we've had in the last 100 years, there have been cuts to higher education. And states, particularly governors, are focused in a recession on people getting jobs, not four-year degrees. And that's a really important statistic for those of us in higher ed to keep our eyes on. So to help us understand further what these dynamics are, we're joined by Scott Pattison. And Scott is a sought-after expert in public finance, higher education, and workforce policy. He served as the CEO of the National Governors Association the head of the National Association of State Budget Officers, and as the State Budget Officer of the Commonwealth of Virginia. Pattison has a unique perspective on the politics, structures, and actors that inform decision-making on these critical issues. From his early career in the federal government, Pattison has been a keen observer of the intersections of federal, state, and local governments, and most importantly, their impact on the economy, higher education, and employment. So I'm joined today uh, by Scott Pattison. And Scott, let's get right into it and let's start with the basics. Can you explain to us how state policy affects higher education? Well, certainly. And thanks, Karen. I'm really excited to be here with you. State uh, policy has a huge impact on higher education. Of course, it has a much stronger impact on public higher education because 
still to this day, about 40 to 50% of in-classroom instructional costs are paid for by the states, even though the percentage of state support for public higher ed has declined rather precipitously in the last 20 years. But it, there are also a lot of impacts on private higher education in terms of a lot of states offer tuition assistance to in-state residents for going to private schools. And also, particularly for public higher ed, but sometimes for private higher ed, there are statutes and regulations and things like that that do impact higher education from a state policy perspective. And frankly, the other thing that I think is really important to mention is there's a huge intangible impact by state policymakers, certainly the governor, the highest elected official, but state legislators also have bully pulpits, they're responding to or influencing public opinion, and that can really have an impact on higher education. We're seeing right now that uh, public opinion, according to the Pew Research Center, has actually shown there's kind of a decline, particularly among Republicans, of a positive view toward higher ed. So there are these intangible impacts that state policymakers have. So talk a little bit more about, give me some examples of state policies that specifically might impact higher ed. Well, starting with the funding, certainly the states, if they decrease funding, for example, that's pretty common when a state goes into recession or downturn in revenues, they cut spending. But there are all kinds of other impacts, particularly for public, but again, sometimes for private higher ed, on the capital side, they have a huge impact on the amount of capital available for buildings, for building maintenance, infrastructure, those types of things. They can influence, because they do provide some funding to higher ed, they can certainly influence policies in higher education. It might be procurement for how they purchase things, but it also could be uh, putting pressure on in terms of acceptances. I know in a lot of states there's a lot of pressure from state legislators that you aren't accepting enough in-state residents because they're cheaper and out-of-state pay more. And so there, there are just all kinds of uh, impacts that the state can have on higher education. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about the aspect of the ratio of in-state versus out-of-state students, and yet that's been such a major tuition driver for so many public universities. Um, Can you give me an example of where that might have happened? Yeah, no, it it really uh, has been really interesting. Great example for me personally, because I went to the University of Virginia Law School, and I also was budget director in Virginia, and Throughout my tenure, there was pressure from state legislators on the University of Virginia to have more in-state acceptances. Now, UVA was big on not only enjoying the out-of-state tuition, which is higher, but I legitimately liked the diversity that it provided to have people from all over the world and all over the United States. But state legislators, particularly from high-income urban areas where a lot of their constituents were annoyed that they weren't getting their kids weren't getting accepted, there was an enormous amount of pressure, and there may still be to have more in-state residents accepted. Yeah, that makes total sense. So if you drill down a little bit into college athletics now, do you think that big-time college sports plays a role in public universities and their relationship with state governors and legislators? There's no doubt that the athletics has a big impact. 
And what's interesting to me and what I've watched throughout my career as more a financial management budgeting person right. is that there's a big intangible impact. The big schools, because of big time basketball and football and things like that, uh, the ability to have legislators, governors and others come and see the games, th that really does give them some access and therefore some ability to really communicate and influence with with top influential legislators and the governor. And it's harder if you're a comprehensive or a small university, your local state senator and or representatives certainly are big proponents of you, but the big universities with those big athletic programs, they get so much attention for that. And people are following the football team and things like that, that they, it, it does help them in an intangible but a very concrete way. So it must make the other universities and small colleges feel like, how do we get a place at the table? How do we compete against this? Any, any advice or suggestions? Well, I know, I was always very impressed when I was on the board of Old Dominion University. I know the, the president, uh, we hired a new president, and she was terrific. And she said, you know what, I, I, we don't have the big-time athletics. They've actually added a football they have, team yes, since. Yes. But um, we didn't have that at the time. And so she went around, she drove all around the state to personally visit each legislator huh. and, and just say, hey, we're here. This is why we're important to the whole state. So there are ways to do that. Uh, I think it's harder to uh, plan to have a, a winning team, obviously. So, um, but that certainly makes a difference. I know over the years that uh, when teams do well, the fundraising goes up. Yeah. Yeah, there's certainly a heightened awareness of the institution, <laughs> yeah. even at the Division three level. I yeah, mean, you have, yeah. um, you know, a school makes a successful run into the Final Four, particularly in either football or men's and women's basketball, sometimes lacrosse, it gets a lot of attention, yeah, you know. Yeah, and in Virginia, yeah. for example, has had a lot of Final Four Division three schools. So, right. Um, but you're, but what you're saying is, is it doesn't really impact the state legislature. It might impact the state legislature tours right the, right. the, the local right. folks who are elected yeah. by those those yeah. uh, constituents but in terms of impacting the state policy and state budget is a little less yeah. yeah yeah okay okay well that makes well put that makes sense yeah <laughs> um, so how do you think state policymakers in general view college athletics today with all of its warts and 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 challenges and opportunities that are out there in the way they're creatively generating revenues. Well, I, I think that uh, there's kind of a, a positive and negative view. I think there's no question legislators, governors, other state policymakers, they, especially if they graduated from a school in their state, they're, they're strong, they're usually really active, good alum, alums, and they enjoy watching the sports and things like that. Um, but I think what uh, universities and colleges have to really think about with regard to athletics is that while on the one hand, state policymakers feel that it's great to have athletics, they want to see that. They think it's, it's, there's, there are so many benefits. There's, it's basic health and things like that. So they like to see the athletic programs. But uh, over time, I think there's going to be less and less sympathy mm. Uh, for um, colleges or universities having issues with college athletics. And so I think the universities and colleges need to be aware of 
the perceptions. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's a strong concern now. Of course, you've seen the California state legislature and others say, hey, you know, uh, NCAA, you can't take advantage of the athletes. You have to let them own their name and be able to go on social media right, and make right. money and things like that. And I think that'll continue. The other thing is, and, and this is kind of a shame for the smaller universities that have less funding and they don't have that big time athletics program, but if they're in the red and running financial deficits, frankly, state policymakers aren't going to be sympathetic to that. What I mean by that is they're basically going to say, sorry, that's not our problem. And I think that's important to be aware of. It's not that overall, generally, they're really pro-athletics, but they're not sympathy. They don't have a lot of sympathy on that score. So let's take a little bit of a deeper dive then. On campuses where they are running an athletics deficit, mm-hmm. and quite frankly in Division One, it's nearly all of them. Yes. And there's a lot of tension with faculty and other governance organizations on campus. How far do state legislators get involved with that? Or even governors? I, I would say rarely is that an issue for them. Yeah. And again, I think from the state policymaker perspective, and frankly I think this is a good thing, their view would be that's your issue. You have to manage your campus and your manage and manage your finances on campus. We're not going to worry about that. Um, what they want to see, and obviously the state wants to see, is that, that everything rules are being followed, regulations are being followed, that type of thing. Okay. And and it's certainly, I will say, my advice to to folks in that position is, state policymakers again will not be sympathetic that. So I wouldn't use it as an argument that, oh, we're spending extra, we need more money just overall generally because we're having financial deficits in athletics. That will not be a winning argument. Right, right. So then it becomes up to the campus to really manage it effectively. And for years and years, uh, college athletics has dealt with it by just trying to raise more money. Right. So what do you think of some of these unique strategies that colleges and universities are using around their athletics program to raise money? Well, I I do think what's important, and and I think, frankly, what's going to make a difference, even to state policymakers, is to tie the athletics program to the greater good. And you see some campuses doing this, and I think it's very effective. Have the athletes go in and go to uh, junior high and high schools and try to encourage the, the students there to be exercising. We have a terrible obesity problem in the United States. And policymakers are very, very concerned about that. And so if you can tie in with local school systems and show the greater good, or frankly, even on the campus, are there a way for the athletics uh, and the athletes there to show that they're trying to get the overall campus healthier and getting those who are not as active, active. So there are a lot of things they, they can do. And frankly, I think that also might attract some grants that are targeted to improving health, hmm. uh, but they also may be able to raise more money. How do governors announce, do they have an opinion about the a, a continued evolution of the millions and sometimes billions of dollars that are coming into college sports? Do they feel like that's a disconnect at all with higher education? Yes, and I, I think that's another uh, public perception issue that universities, particularly the large ones that are bringing a lot of money as a, re- as a result of sports, I, they really have to realize that the issue is what we've seen in the last few years is a, from a political and public opinion standpoint, a real strong desire on the part of the public that there be more focus on jobs. 
And we can argue about whether that really is the right way to go, but the public now expects those who come out of university with some type of degree or certificate to be able to get a job. And so over time, a lot of the public and frankly, their state legislators and governors are going to be concerned about money coming in for college athletics because they're going to feel that, wait a minute, you've got all this money going for the football team, the basketball team or whatever, but uh, we want to make sure you're really teaching students to get out and find a job. Tying that into the length of an education for a typical student, the cost of an education for a typical student, how do the state, uh, state's governors look at student debt and student fees, particularly as it relates to athletics? Because a great number of programs are subsidized by student fees and institutional subsidies. That's a big concern. I've actually sat in on meetings of governors over the years in which they bring up they're very, very concerned about the increases in fees and the debt is a huge issue. I've had governors actually in meetings with economists ask, is this hurting my state because I have students coming out with such debt, they're going to postpone purchasing a car, postpone purchasing a home, that type of thing, and therefore it, they won't be really spending and be participating in the economy. And of course, economists have concern about that. Yeah. The other thing that, that university and uh, college officials should think about is that when there's a problem like that, state legislators are hearing about it all the time. They're, they're out and about all the time. They're going into McDonald's for coffee and they're chatting with their constituents or they're at a reception and they're chatting with constituents. And they're saying, my son didn't even graduate and has huge debt. So they're very, very aware of that. And yeah. I think, um, again, the juxtaposition of billions all over the country coming in for big football teams versus students coming out with in many cases, not a degree, but debt, is a big concern. And the more that constituents are concerned about that and complaining to their public officials, the more that's a concern for universities. Understood, yeah. And, and I think uh, Commonwealth of Virginia actually uh, put a cap on the amount of student fees that an institution was allowed to charge. Just for that very reason, they were so concerned about if schools wanted to uh, increase their athletics profile, they were turning back to their own students at the rate of $2,000 plus a year. And no matter whether the students cared about athletics or not, it was still, you still have to pay. And that's hard for students who have no interest in athletics whatsoever. No, that, it really is a concern uh, because if you, there's a threshold, it's hard to determine what it is, it's gonna be, dependent on, on the situation, but there's a threshold at which you go too high with whatever you're getting people to pay for, in this case fees, and you're going to really get some pushback. I heard an interesting comment a few weeks ago from the athletics director at Penn State University and talking about the role that football plays in, in the daily life of State College. I think they can figure that they'll have six or seven home games every year. And they count on those, the economic benefits of that, those six or seven home games to basically drive the, the revenues for the town. I know there's many other you know, places like that in America, whether it be Iowa City, Iowa, or Madison, Wisconsin. How do governors look at, at those kinds of things where it's the revenue, the economic benefits can really help a local community? 
Oh, yeah. No, they definitely see that yeah. as important. And I would say every governor, the most important, their highest priority is almost always economic development and jobs. So they definitely see that. Yeah. And they, I'm sure they have state economists who are telling them about the benefits. It right. doesn't really discount the concerns about those other issues we've talked about today. But uh, they definitely see that. Yeah. But again, then, uh, in contrast... I think that university officials need to think about, okay, how do we deal with a lacrosse team that's, that's really losing money for us? Maybe the parents are there, but you're really not seeing a very much of an economic benefit. Not that it's not a really beneficial thing, but it's, it's something to think about. How, how do we deal with that? Right, right. And all the mandates, including gender equity in Title IX yeah, and balancing yeah. out your sport portfolio. The NCAA has certain restrictions as to how many team sports and individual sports you have to offer. So it's, it's complex. It really is. Yeah. <clears throat> um, do organizations like the National Governors Association or the state budget officers weigh the cost-benefit analysis of funding state universities in relation to the profile of their athletics program? like Penn State, like the University of Texas? I, I would say they don't look at the budget that way. The way that state officials are going to look at the budget is they're going to focus almost entirely on the general fund, which is basically the monies that come from just general taxes, like sales taxes, income taxes, and how that goes. And so what's particularly important to be aware of, if there's a downturn, those general revenues go down. And, of course, quite a bit of the university funding, to the extent it exists at the state level, is going to be really effect, affected and probably declined. So um, they're, they're not really looking at it from the perspective of cost-benefit analysis with regard to collegiate athletics. And part of the reason for that is those are not on the general fund ledger. But they're going to have issues and concerns because they are hearing from constituents, they're going to have issues and concerns about fees, tuition, things like that. And you mentioned economic downturn. Uh, and inevitably, we've been in this fantastic you know, bull run of a market, but eventually the gravy train's going to stop. So what's your prediction for not only higher education, but for the impact on intercollegiate athletics? Well, I, I would say it's so hard to predict yeah. the next downturn. But as you say, it's going to come. Uh, they, we've never skipped a downturn yet. Uh, there are quite a few economists starting to say they expect something toward the end of 2020, something the middle part. Uh, they just did a survey of city finance officials who are starting to see a decline in local government revenue. That's usually a bit of a canary in the coal mine, a signal that there's some slowing. So I think people ought to be aware of that. I think that the next downturn, unfortunately, will have a significant impact on particularly public higher ed because they, there are so many other costs that are mandated, particularly for healthcare and Medicaid, that states have to cover. There's no way they can avoid, unless they raise taxes, and many people don't like that, uh, to cut their funding for public higher ed. And in the case of private higher ed, probably tuition assistance grants and things like that. It's just simple math. If you're not going to grow the pie with more taxes, you're going to have to cut. So I think that universities should be very aware that that's a big concern for the next downturn. As far as impacting athletics, the, the problem there is I think there'll be a bit of a threshold as to if they want to make up 
for some of the general fund cuts and do things like increase fees, I think there'll be a lot of political and public pressure to not do that in a significant manner. And I think that universities have to be aware of that because there'll be a lot of pressure to want to find other revenues and funds, but to do too many increases in tuition fees and other types of, of revenue will really get a, a significant pushback, and I, I don't think that's worth it for the universities. That's great. That's great. Anything else that you're paying attention to on the horizon that maybe my listeners might be interested in hearing about? I do think that it's not finance-related, but I do think that there's a crack in that dam about keeping athletics amateurs. <laughs> and I really believe that that's going to really break. And I think, you're gonna, I think in the next five to ten years, we're going to look back and think, wow, there were some real changes. Because I think the, the, there's an expectation, not only with social media, but that athletes should have the freedom to, to do what they want with their name and make money. And whether people like it or not, I think that that's the direction we're going in. Right, right. It seems to be a bipartisan issue at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I know, and there aren't many. That's right, that's right. Well, Scott, thank you so much for joining us today, enlightening us, giving us more insight from the position of the governors, state budget officers, and uh, we really appreciate you joining us today. Yeah, thank you, Karen, and thank you for all the great work that you do. Thank you. Take care. So as you may know, I write a weekly column for Forbes.com about issues at the intersection of college athletics and higher education. A couple of weeks ago, I wrote an article entitled Names, Images, and Likenesses and Data. And I want to share a little bit of my concerns about what I wrote in that article. Much has been written in the last few months of 2019 about college athletes not being permitted to monetize their own name, image, or likeness under the NCAA's collegiate model. Now that California and a host of other states have proposed legislation to undo this, there is one other discussion point that athletes at all levels should seek to own and control their biometric data. The University of Michigan was the first major college brand to consent to collecting private performance data from their athletes as part of the apparel contract. The Wolverine signed with Jumpman, Nike's Michael Jordan branded apparel division. As part of that agreement, the $170 million deal may, quote, allow Nike to harvest personal data from Michigan athletes through the use of wearable technology like heart rate monitors, GPS trackers, and other devices that log myriad biological activities, unquote, according to a story in the New York Times. Two other important performance measurement indicators have emerged. Measuring quality of sleep, including the time an athlete went to sleep and woke up, and class attendance. While some colleges have sleeping pods for football players, Others are using Bluetooth beacon technology from companies such as Spotter EDU to track when players arrive and depart their assigned classrooms, like class attendance. As senior leaders in higher education, our students' personal data is not ours, especially their biometric data about physical performance, and should not be for sale as part of an apparel deal, a weight room software package, or any futuristic performance-enhancing clothing. Athletic directors especially need to consider the implications of trading off players' personal data for more lucrative contracts, as appears to be the case at Michigan. In effect, 
Data and apparel companies are using college athletes as free research subjects in a for-profit enterprise. How is that any different than using their names, images, and likenesses? Thanks for joining us.